Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the blatant pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinizing through their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. One of the more common complaints that we often hear about many of the new startups in and around Silicon Valley is that they appear to be designing services just for the affluent. They are admittedly frequently services that are designed and built by young white males who have a certain perspective on the world and what they want out of technology services. A counter-argument to this is that even if these services start out focused on catering to the needs of the well-off, over time they can expand and change and bring in a much wider field. Whether or not that's actually true is open to debate, perhaps one that we're about to have, but even if it is the case, there's an argument that we still need people designing technology with the needs of everyone else in mind rather than just the elite. Last week on the program, we had a special guest, Catherine Bracey, talking about the impact of technology on democracy, and she's also thought deeply about and written and spoken about how technology is changing society itself, and frequently that comes back to the question of the haves versus the have-nots. So for today's podcast, we have invited her back, along with Dennis Yang and Hirsch Reddy again, to have another discussion about whether or not Silicon Valley is or should be designing tools and services for everyone, or if we think it's okay to focus on just one segment of the market and see where things go. So let's kick it off by going to the guest. Catherine, are you worried about Silicon Valley entrepreneurs focus too much on what someone once described as solving all the problems that their moms can no longer do for them. I love that framing <laughs> of it because that's exactly what it feels like. Um, I'm not, um, I don't have a problem with people building tools that solve their own problems. Mm -hmm. I think the problem is that um, not a wide enough diversity of people with uh, different experiences have access to starting companies in Silicon mm -hmm. Valley. And so you end up with this very, um, you know, uh, insular group of people who are um, pretty much all the same, recursively solving their own, you know, getting more and more up the hierarchy of needs um, with the things that they're building. Um, and, you know, when your biggest problem is finding someone to do laundry for you, then that's the <laughs> problem you're going to solve with technology. Or to take out your yeah. garbage for you, right? There yeah. No, well. But I think, I think just, last, just last week there was someone uh -huh. that, I think someone, someone tweeted here in San Francisco that, you know, three laundromats had closed yeah. down recently. And someone replied to it like, like oh, that's because there's Washio now. You don't need to go to a laundromat. And I was just, yeah. just so incredibly tone deaf. Yeah, yes and no, though, right? So I, and so there was a big article that was written about that yeah. and, and sort of saying, like, this one, I think the title was something like, this one tweet proves why San Francisco <laughs> is out of touch or, or something like that. And there was a big pile on and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, let's put that guy's head on a pike and, and all, <laughs> all this kind of stuff. And, and, and I agree, and, and I have that sort of emotional reaction, which is like, yeah, you know, that's ridiculous. Obviously, you know, 
Washio or whatever these services are are, yeah. are right. providing a different kind of service for a different kind of people than than the laundromat on the corner. Right. But there is also some element of truth behind some of that, which is that as these new services develop, they do have the potential to reach a wider audience that could find it more useful and you could do things more productively, potentially. I'm not saying that's the case right now, but potentially if you had, you know, and I, I feel wrong defending this particular situation, <laughs> but, but you could see a potential where, you know, if you could do laundry more efficiently that way, that that could make it cheaper and therefore it could actually be better for the people who would otherwise have to sit in, in, in a you know, laundromat. For Man, you're too timid in your defense, dude. <laughs> like, I'm fine. I'll be the devil's advocate today. I will be too. I, I'm right. with you on this one. Man, see, look, things, if, so I, let, me, let, me, let me give you a background. So, I just w traveled in India, and I went to some very poor villages in rural areas um, in Madhya Pradesh and Bihar. Um, and it was the first time I'd gone to a rural place in India in probably 15 years. And the transformation is extraordinary. And part of the reason the transformation is extraordinary is because of the dissemination of extremely cheap mobile phones, mm -hmm. on the one hand. Uh, and essentially what's uh, roboticized production of little gizmos that coming out of China, mm -hmm. right? And that small bit of material wealth, which perhaps hasn't impacted us in, to a great degree here in the United States, is tra transformative in India because where somebody was previously perhaps riding on a bicycle uh, and maybe biking 15 or 20 miles to find prices of what he could sell his wheat for. Now he gets that information instantaneously on his phone mm -hmm. right, through various services. And he, when he does need to travel, he pr most likely has a cheap scooter that, he, that also is either you know, made in India or made in China. And it, that makes a huge difference in terms of his productivity. And but it's a different... It's not that people are arguing that those things yeah. shouldn't happen. Actually, I think that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, we need to... Those are the people whose needs are being underserved by Silicon mm. Valley, the technology industry, yeah. you know, as defined by Silicon Valley and their funding priorities. Um, so where these services, what those services are that those mm -hmm. people in those villages well, well, are using and who is funding them is an interesting question. But the question here is like, could, should wash, should people feel guilty about using Washio or should well, we, we be building apps that address some other problem? I actually think like, did anyone like going to laundromats? Like no one should feel guilty <laughs> that they don't have to go to a laundromat now. No, but I, but I think, I think the nope. concern, the concern is slightly different and, and now I'm and I'm going back on the other side, but not not, <laughs> but, uh, not it, completely. But wait, wait, wait. It, it, it's that no one should feel guilty about using Washio, but but for the people for Washio, where it's currently probably more expensive than using a laundromat, for the people who need a laundromat and no longer have them because they're closing down, now the situation may be worse off for them, right? And that's that's yeah. the concern but, well, that's being raised. Yeah. So, well, that's a different thing, right? So, are you saying Washio is so successful that it's driving laundromats that is out not, of business? That can't right. be the case. That, <laughs> that, that's clearly an exaggeration because you know, the, the the truth is the the right. increasing rents is what's driving those guys yes, out of there. Exactly, and I, and I think that was the the ultimate the the headline of that article, which was the tweet, which was saying that Washio was why those laundromats were closing. Sure. 
was the, like spoke, and, spoke and, to and, the and I, I will I will completely grant that yeah. that premise was but, wrong. But, right. So, but what are we arguing about? See, see, the, see, the thing is, like, look, who cares? We're arguing. No, I know, but, but so the the question is this, right? There's a there, there's a finite amount of capital that can go to startups, uh-huh. right? And some of it is diverted to these things, which I think we think is a, a bit frivolous or silly. And some things go to serious things, right? Like like uh, cures for various diseases, uh, you know, services that you know broadly improve everyone's income or whatever, right? So there's a split of these things. Um, I don't. I mean, what's the optimal allocation? I mean, I, I, someone I, you would have to make a case to me that that there's a suboptimal allocation. I think there's plenty of money going to. Um, towards those markets that are at the bottom of the pyramid. I mean, you could always put more money, but then there's such a thing as a suboptimal allocation well, for developing goods and services there, too. I don't, it, that's, it's hard to argue the opposite of that because there's so many things that don't get funded that we don't know about and um, are just told that it's a bad idea for some very... And I think VCs will tell you very proudly that they make very subjective decisions about who they fund. Um, and it turns out that when, you know, all, it all sh- shakes out in the wash, no pun intended, um, <laughs> a lot of uh, rich, uh, young, white men get their ideas funded. And um, they turn out to be solving the problems of rich, young, most, some, not, maybe not as young, white men who are funding them. And so what does that say? It doesn't mean that the other problems or pitches that are coming to them are bad ideas. Yeah. Uh, there's just a real problem with the the, the decisions and the allocation of capital, um, and that's where I think I don't. It's not that I don't think companies like Washio should be getting funded. It's that I think there's a real um, uh, problematic bias in the way that overall decisions that, are made. That about. there's a there's a gap that that other things could be funded also that are being missed. Is that there's that, and then there's also just entrepreneurs mm-hmm. who aren't getting a chance. Um, who, you know, there's a lot of tolerance for failure and pivoting and all that when, you know, it's sort of mythologized in technology, but no one is ever given the chance to fail um, in, you know, for women or or, um, black and Hispanic entrepreneurs. It's just kind of seen as like, um, and it's hard to quantify. It's Mm -hmm. really hard to actually um, point to an example um, but you know it's there because we can see what it's not, you know, we can't make an argument that that it should be the case that 90% of the companies that get funded with venture capital are, uh, that, that they have white male founders, um, that that's just a meritocracy. It's clearly, like, not on the face of it true. So what is happening in those meetings, you know, and what is the problem with getting uh, new diverse ideas in right. front of um, people who have the power to make them real? See, the problem is, even if you go somewhere where there are no white males in the startup ecosystems, if you go to India or whatever... So you insert powerful, you know, know, powerful person here. Well, the startup phenomenon is very much a serve-the-urban-population kind of phenomenon, right? So that's where I would draw the divide. It's not so much like... But but it's also I think I think pattern recognition right I think mm-hmm. once something is mm-hmm. successful it gets to it, it gets to do it again right whether whether and that's what power kind of is and then you know I, th- I think if I were a venture capitalist or I were you know investing in money investing money in companies I would tend to invest in things that I think I saw succeed before so as a, as a result right, when but- when something happens you know and is successful it's going to kind of perpetuate itself. But, so how, so how yeah. do we how do we? So well, there's well, there's there's a, a partial counter argument to that, which some will make, and yeah. um, which clearly is not 
happening to any major degree yet, but but that the market for those other kinds of services that aren't getting funded is an opportunity space that will have less competition yeah. and therefore a smart investor. And can, I hope that's true. Can, right? so. can go in and do that. But is that happening now? I mean, I've heard some people talk yeah. about that and I've seen a few VCs or investors who have sort of declared that they're focusing on those markets, but I don't know yeah. how much of an impact. Cape Four Capital does sure. very explicitly. That's a good example. Um, and they've been actually, their portfolio does very well, um, mm-hmm. which I think they um, are a great example of how, you know, you don't have to, um, it's not charity. They're right. making yeah. very, uh, um, market-driven decisions, and they are um, reaping the benefits from it. I mean, could this this is basically, it feels like kind of the money ball situation, right, where certain opportunities are overlooked by the, you know, the overwhelming majority of people, and the 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 firms that can kind of see that opportunity are going to reap immense benefits. I think. Right, so you have, you you have know, sort of... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, it could also just be that, you know, VCs are a very particular kind of investor, right, looking for investments that return huge multiples of what goes in, right? Mm-hmm. And that might not necessarily be the right pattern for the kind of investor we would expect for sort of small, smaller, more rural. Well, you're, kind of, you're but, right. but you're making and, the assumption that these are smaller, more rural rural yeah. investments that are the opportunity. And that may be the case, but it might but, not be the case, right? Well, he, look, he, look at it from this point of view. This is why I would instinctively say that, and I could be wrong. But if you look at a heat map of where the income, people with high incomes is, right? They're, they, it's not like it's smeared across the world, right? It's, it's highly dense, cl- clustered around urban centers, right? Sure. And, and urban populations have very particular kinds of problems and very particular kinds of solutions that they want. And those don't match up very well with, with what people need in sort of outside the cities, right? Uh, and And... So if you're going to go after these populations outside of cities, there is a huge opportunity smeared across larger geographical areas, but those populations in different localities are probably going to have different tastes, different uh, problems that they need to overcome. And so you probably need a a fracturing of the market and different problem solvers in each of those different spaces. Right, exactly. A more diverse set of entrepreneurs. But each of them, each of those products or or markets that they capture will will not be able to return these sort of unicorn kinds of sums. Right, so it's it's not a venture opportunity. It's not necessarily a venture opportunity. It's a different kind of investment. So this is a question I have about venture capital. It just seems like a very, I mean, this is my unsophisticated, naive, Midwestern view of the thing, but... uh, it seems like a really distorting and weird way to fund an industry. Yes. Um, like what happened to going to the bank and getting a 2% interest loan to buy the machine you need to, you know, do the business and expand it's, or yeah, whatever. And, and, and it's, it's a personal liability there. Though. Right. I mean, there's, you have, there are different reasons and there, there are pros and cons to, to going investment and uh, to, to taking venture. And I think that, this is probably a topic for another podcast, but yeah. like, I mean, we could dig in deep and, and it's true that there is a sort of mythology around startups in Silicon Valley that the only way to build a real startup is to go the venture capital route. And I think that's ridiculous and wrong. Um, and I would love it if there were, there was a sort of, you know, a more widespread discussion on alternative yeah. funding models, because I think that's, that's important and, and recognizing like your particular startup might be better off not going the venture and, path. And, and the fact that, you know, building a so-called life style company mm-hmm. is seen is looked down upon in the valley is i don't that there's something interesting to kind of 
Like, yeah. look at that. Like, why? Like, what is, what's wrong with building yeah. a strong, small business? But, but I think that's a different podcast. Yes, so, you guys should, so. you should have that conversation with someone, but, and I will listen to it. But I, I think that, I think that more than personal bias, I think there definitely is personal bias at play. Yeah. There's probably an element of the financial structure distorting yep. the set sure. of people who end up getting funded. Yeah, and 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 not only that, but I, I think you know if if we want to look for places that that would help with this sort of this diversity of funding, we should we should think of at sort of a higher level. Like, why do institutional investors give so much money to VCs when very few of them actually perform? Some, great, most great of them, question. Right, that's that's a weird kind of bias right there. Like, what what yeah. is going on there? They're supposed to be investing in pension funds and stuff like that on the behalf of the pension funds. And not on the behalf of their own personal networks, right? Like there's a, so I think that the bias, if you take a step higher, I mean that's where the bias is. Like yeah. these guys are not making economically sound decisions. And people have said that a lot, like Warren Buffett, and there's different people who have said, like, when you invest, um, there's very few funds that actually beat just a random uh, index of stocks that just tracks the market. So you know, why why do we pay these management fees and all these other things to VC? So that's where I think you should look for the bias. And when you solve that problem and stop funding these VCs that don't perform, there'll be some capital freed up to invest in other forms of, 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 of capital distribution. Now, yeah. now, whether that be small rural banks or mid-sized business funders or like, you know, your conventional banks, like you were saying, where you just go and get a loan, you know, whatever it is, I mean, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be capital freed up because I think, I think Silicon Valley is kind of like a big vacuum that somebody just turned on and it just seems to suck <laughs> all the capital in. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, everybody invests here, whether it be billionaires from, from Russia or, you know, huge banks from China, uh, you know, people from Japan. Like, everyone is here, right? Like, yeah. and what, why don't they invest in all kinds of places well, around the world. Well, it's, let's, it's crazy. So, so let's go... Let's get to, back to why Wash.io is evil. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's take a, a slightly different step. Which is, so we've been talking about sort of the, the investing side of it and the funding side, which I think is important. But, but there is a second element to it, which is, you know, getting more, you know, a sort of a more diverse range of people to engage in entrepreneurship in the first place, right? So... Does that go back to education, funding for funding for schools, or or different things, or or are we, you know, are, you know, wh where's the issue there? There was some article I saw. I mean, this is one of those things where I, I don't read a lot of articles anymore. <laughs> I just like see the headlines. The headli headlines enough. <laughs> so I saw a headline somewhere about you know a study about um, uh, the. Children of entrepreneurs or rich people are, you know, disproportionately successful at starting yeah. their own businesses. And it's like, yeah, because they are able to take the risk. You know, mm -hmm. there's a, it's really hard when you're poor and have no safety net um, to decide you're going to like not go to college, like the Peter Thiel fellowship kind of thing. It's just like right. the, the arrogance of suggesting to someone who has no safety net and no, family support yeah. um, that you should drop out of college to take a flyer on this idea is really, you know, that that's a problem. And so there just aren't enough safe spaces for entrepreneurs um, who come from disadvantaged backgrounds um, or, you know, women who need to be asked four times to run for office, you know, when a man only has to be asked once, like those kinds of things are. So, so what, what, what can be done to, to fix that? Well, I think if we, um, you know, it's hard to say make entrepreneurship safer. Part of it is mm -hmm. risky. Um, but I think that, um, 
you know, there are things like loan forgiveness or um, there is a project that I believe New York City is looking at to do something like if you're, you know, uh, uh, disadvantaged um, young people coming out of high school or, or college who want to start businesses can go into this incubator and part of what they get is there is loan forgiveness um, for their college loans. Um, what are the safety nets that you could provide um, that would make it easier for someone with a great idea um, to take step one and really, um, you know, uh, see if their ideas are even any good? I mean, there, how many people, um, we don't even know, we know about the ones that didn't get funded because they actually got to the door. I mean, that, like, mm -hmm. the journey from having an idea to getting a meeting with a funder, that is such a vast hill to climb and um i think there's probably a lot of good entrepreneurs so, out there so in, support. in theory right you could you could create some sort of you know incubator sort of the y combinator that is very focused on on non-traditional entrepreneurs is yeah. that I, I i don't like the idea of picking winners and losers where we're going to say hey these guys are the entrepreneurs out of this community and we're going to uh -huh. give you a safety net this is something we've talked about before but but i really think that what you need to do is give everybody in society a safety net like a basic income, basically, and then everyone can make entrepreneurial mm -hmm. decisions, right? And that's uh, and in their time. And and if you look, if you look anywhere, right? Like when you go to a random village where people are very poor, everyone is an entrepreneur just to live. Like whether it's buying a cow and selling the excess milk, or deciding where to take your produce. I mean, every day is an entrepreneurial decision, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Even just picking up your bags and moving to the city is extremely entrepreneurial. I mean, there's more risk in that than any risk I could take with a startup, right? Like, you're going to a city, you don't even know where you're going to stay. Like, it's nuts. So everyone has an, uh, an appetite for risk, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, let me not say that. There's, there's a range of appetites for risk. But any group, it's, there's going to be that range. And it's, it's, I think it's very problematic if you have this top-down um, kind of selection process, whether it be VCs or a government committee that's going to decide who the ad advant sure. ad advantage people I, are going to be. I, I, like, I think, I just I think, think the, the, ar the argument that's being made is that that's already happening, right? You already have someone who's picking winners and losers, and right now the winners being picked are disproportionately from a certain audience. So if you were to, uh, you know, to at least look at that as a market inefficiency and therefore an opportunity for someone to come in and target those that are being ignored by the existing systems. It's not necessarily picking winners and losers. It could be seen as, as working on a, a market inefficiency, but right? I like the path you're on, Hirsch. Let's not try to just make the current uh, unequal, fundamentally unequal economic system uh, more just. Let's like rebuild, let's build a <laughs> sure. just economic system. And universal <laughs> basic income, which isn't a super crazy idea. It would be a radical policy change right now in the U.S., but there are countries who do it, um, and um, there are policies that are basically universal basic income. Um, and we, you know, if we, if everyone had a guaranteed safety net, you probably would see a lot more um, see entrepreneurs yeah. who weren't entrepreneuring before. It yeah, might, it totally. might disincentivize the like, um, you know, the very top. 0.01% of, of entrepreneurs um, because they feel like they're, you know, I don't know. That's the argument. It's like, oh, they're yeah, not going to want to. No, but the thing is, it's, it's not even clear that the total tax burden would go up even with basic income. You might yeah. just, you might get rid of certain social programs and just make it all a basic income. Yeah, and, and, across and, everyone. and I mean, if you're interested in this, we did a podcast <laughs> all about basic income guarantee, which is, you know, and, 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 I, I don't remember which number, but a few months back, so you can find it. But like, it, it, 
and and I I agree. Like it's a really intriguing idea, but so so that's one. But there's another idea which okay. I didn't get a chance to talk Go about, for it. which is the other fundamentally democratic way to aggregate capital and give it to entrepreneurs that are actually solving problems that people want to get solved. And mm-hmm. I know you're already thinking what I'm thinking. It's something like Kickstarter. It's crowdfunding, right? You don't aggregate all the money from everyone and give it to a banker and then let the banker make the decision, right? Everyone makes a decision on what they want by by pushing out the money themselves and aggregating it that way. And uh, like Kickstarter, I think, has just gotten started. I think there's going to be a Kickstarter uh, analog for other countries, for uh, you know, other communities. Now, whether Kickstarter, the company, does that and opens different portals, or whether it happens in some other way. And it doesn't also have to be you know, one participant, one dollar kind of a thing, right? Like, if we make it so that the Kickstarters are allowed to give equity in the businesses, You'll see institutional investors follow rural investors in with their own for, with, with, you know, cash investments because they want to participate in something that clearly has a market that's been defined to be that signal right. quality. So, so that's more. So, so that's another way of, of, of getting uh, distributed, capital distributed in a different way. Sorry. Go no, ahead. no. I, I mean, that's an interesting idea, too, you know, where you're changing the investment structure. And obviously, crowdfunding has become a, a big deal. Yeah. Um, you know, I, again, that's probably a, it's probably another podcast about equity crowdfunding versus just sort of, you know, mm-hmm. donation or pre-sales crowdfunding and kind of what the implications are there and the challenges. Um, but, yeah, it is a much more democratized system where you're allowing, you know, the general populace to vote on on products and services as opposed to, you know, waiting for, um, you know, one of the elite venture capitalists or something to, to make the decision. But, you know, to date, crowdfunding has been successful in, in a few areas, but I don't know how many really, you know, long-term successful businesses have come out of it. Could that change? Certainly. And there have been a few, obviously, but, you know, is it a you know? Does it change the entire market? Um, so th- we haven't given it enough time, right? Sure. I think arguably it's early. Few, it's very a, early. There's yeah. a few companies like I was. And, just, and I'm like the last person who's going to put yeah. down crowdfunding because I'm right. a big supporter of it. But I, I think that you know, so it's it's not clear. Uh, I, I think companies like Kickstarter are like I said in their nascency just because we don't have the regulatory and legal framework that allows them to actually blossom fully and I think what allows them to blossom fully is a streamlined way of getting equity right because yeah. mm-hmm. you know buying a product is one I mean, thing what 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 is the status of the jobs act is it still kind of stuck yeah. oh man let's not go down that yeah. road <laughs> <laughs> listen to last week's episode about <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go- government bureaucracy go- government bureaucracy well that's it's an sec problem right now and that the sec uh, just doesn't want to deal with it so so we are stuck we're kind of stuck right now uh, but and 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 not for entirely bad reasons, just mostly bad reasons. <laughs> like there's a few kernels of truth in, in terms of why the SEC is afraid of it, um, but because of that, they're wiping out a, a huge host of, of yeah. potential opportunity at the same time, and that's and that's bad. that's kind of a problem. Um, but that, but that's a very U.S. specific thing, and, and a lot of what we're talking about is not not even U.S. specific, mm-hmm. but but other countries where you know, I mean, the, the U.K. for example, equity crowdfunding is is legal in the U.K. and there's actually a pretty active market for equity crowdfunding in the U.K. Um, and and I'm sure probably elsewhere as well. I'm not as familiar with it in those places, but I don't know. I mean, it would be an interesting study, and I have no idea if we looked at like 
equity crowdfunding in the UK if we see any evidence that it's funding a more diverse set of entrepreneurs and products that are more geared for a diverse you know, set of markets. And right now, I don't know, but I, I haven't... The UK uh, is a strange place, The, the UK you know, may be a strange place, It's almost like place, a suburb, but, honestly. Like, they don't yeah, really have a rural but, poor, do they? Well, no, they... they, they, they the UK uh, is pretty okay. big. <laughs> I don't know I don't know how much time you spent there, but there's... You know, it's, it's big, but it's it's big only if you... It exists outside of London, you know. <laughs> I know, but it basically, I mean, come on, look at the map. <laughs> okay. Sorry, do we have a lot of... You, uh, I love that you're, um, you're, you're, the way you slice this is rural versus urban. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, I'm fixated on that now. <laughs> yeah, but and, I mean, even that. I mean, honestly, right? I mean, though, that. The, I mean, it's a good point. Like the the rural versus urban distinction might not even be all that accurate going forward either. I mean, in another past podcast, I'm just going to keep pitching the mm-hmm. past podcast. I mean, we had a discussion Actually, about in the UK. It might be inverted. It, it might be that the rural populations it, uh, are more wealthy than those in the urban, urban centers. Landed gentry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I have no idea. But anyways, like we, we're getting... Yeah, but, but, there, but right? you know, but those things start to change too as transportation options begin mm-hmm. to change and the ability to travel further and faster and cheaper and all those things changes a lot of that equation as well. And just more mobility of people can, can make all of that very, very different very, very quickly. Telecommuting. And telecommuting and all sorts of other things. And that was another podcast that we did. So <laughs> I'm just going to keep pitching them. I want, if you haven't listened to all of our past podcasts, please go back and do that. Uh, but back to the point here, um, you know, are there, are there other things that, that we're missing in terms of how do we, you know, or, or is this something that, that solves itself? Is it something, you know, there is the argument that, that these problems can, can, you know, that, that's not a problem. Does anyone agree with that? Well, you know, there, I think there's also space for having portals that aggregate information about um, about investment opportunities uh, and and you know specifically entrepreneurs and and helps sort of surface them for unconventional investors, right? Whether it be angels or whatever. And mm-hmm. I know there is a website like Angel List, but that sometimes I go on there and it seems very cliquey. Like there's like, you know, yeah, definitely sure. favorites. And I mean, Angel List know. is sort of like the minor leagues for the, you know, the yeah, Silicon exactly. Valley venture capital system. Right? Exactly. And so something that's a little bit more, you know, a little bit more, uh, I don't know how to put it. Alternative? Maybe, alternative, maybe, a, 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 you know, an order of magnitude larger in terms of the number of people that are on it, and maybe with more sort of channels of, of information. So if you could uh, sort of combine a, a crowdfunding system and, and, that, and exactly. angel list, but mm-hmm. for a more global audience? Yeah, and with a LinkedIn almost, because you want to have an, <laughs> uh, with, you, almost, you, you want sort of a resume for these people that are trying to get funding, right? Uh, and. So yeah, I mean it, the tools will evolve. I mean I, I'm I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm an optimist. I, I think eventually something will will come about that allows us. And we've also forgotten that there's another piece to this that helps us as well, which is Bitcoin, where you know we can True. transfer money between geographies without states getting in the way. Where you can basically say I'm going to fund somebody in India, and you know, yeah, it's very hard for anyone to say no to that. I'm just sending it to a Bitcoin address, um, you know. I could buy into equity. Now there's a different thing about you know repatriating that money, and <laughs> converting it back to dollars. But you know. and we haven't yet done an episode on Bitcoin, though yeah. it's coming at some point. <laughs> I mean, so I mean, so that the argument there, I mean, stated more generally, is that technology may solve this problem that technology is creating. Is that what we're <laughs> we're getting at, or 
Well, I guess it depends on what the, what are you saying is the problem, that there isn't enough diversity in the set of entrepreneurs who are getting funded by venture capital, or that the people who are creating the companies are building um, companies that are uh, just solving super high um, high income problems. And well, I, I mean, and there is the there is the issue which we sort of touched on a little bit, but we didn't really get to, which is this idea that even even when companies are starting out and focusing on solving problems for the super high end, that that over the long term that actually can be helpful for a much wider and diverse audience. Um, and so, and lots of people argue that point. I think they just want to help themselves sleep at night. And that's the kind yeah, of but, argument that you tell yourself to... But do you, so you don't think justify. it's true or... Well, name a, an example. Like, a, what is a company that started out as just serving, like, a super high-end need and then pivoted and was, you know, um, serving the broad base of the economy? Soylent. <laughs> They're going to feed the world. All right, we're, we're, we're I'm kidding. We're I'm not serious not about that. We're going to go down that path right now. Uh, carnation instant breakfast. <laughs> I mean... You could argue, right, so now I'm feeling on the spot. So, um, I mean, you could argue that to some extent, and maybe it's not completely there yet, but things like Airbnb and Uber, which started at a much higher end, are moving down the chain, and they're not all the way down the chain, and I'm getting a really nasty face from across the table, <laughs> so, which nobody can see eBay. on the podcast. But, but eBay, I think. Did, but did eBay start at a high end? Yeah. Yeah, eBay didn't so start at who's, Whose high end need was eBay start? eBay, was, eBay started with Pez or, dispensers. No, eBay was originally well, no, it a bunch of hipsters in Silicon Valley just ah. trading weird gizmos, and now people have little shops and sell things. Yeah, I think I'm talking more about like specifically I'm solving the, pro the problem that rich people have, like food delivery, for example. Yeah. Or I mean, I have seen arguments that companies like, um, um, uh, oh my God, Sprig, and what's the other? Oh, Rocket. Munchery is Munchery, that the, oh, Munchery and, that they're gonna the you know gonna, they're gonna get the cost of their meals down to a low enough level that it's accessible for for everybody. Um, yeah, maybe that would be cool if they did. I don't know if that's what's driving their business. Um, whether that's why they started their business. I mean, I just don't know that those are things that are really. Um, they're trying to shoehorn a social but, mission into a well, thing that started and, out. And that may be true, but but even if it's not them doing it, I mean, there are things where like people will be inspired to target other markets with similar offerings, right? Exactly. I, I think you said that so plaintively, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? No, but like the, it's true. I, I was trying to come won't, up with an example they? in the back of my head. The company yeah. inspired by Uber and Lyft that's making a huge difference in India is called Ola Cab. And that, that's, that's yeah. seriously uh, a huge, it makes a huge difference for people who drive for a living in India because now they don't have to go through these brokers and stuff like that who used to skim cash off the top. So I'm not uh, saying there aren't yeah. the companies out there. And yeah. I'm saying they're, it, it, to, it's not going to be the same company. Lyft or Uber who well, I, so here, devolves here, into how, how, But Okay, and that might be true. But I mean, just use an example in a slightly different but but tangential market, which is smartphones, right? So smartphones certainly started out as mm. very much targeted towards the high-end, you know, uh, market, and now we're seeing it go lower and lower into the market and and open up all sorts of opportunities because of those smartphones, right? 
sure. <laughs> but um, well, uh, hardware is a weird thing, right? Like, so there's all there's still the very um, I don't know. I just think it's a, a harder analogy to draw to a very specific consumer internet company type uh, it, play. It's just a difference of the matter of time, though, right? So. At, at one time, computers and smartphones definitely probably did feel very much like luxury items, but that time is decades or, or past now. There are more hobby, they're like yeah. hobby items than yeah. luxury items, I would say. So, well, they were very expensive, right? So, I mean, so a rich hobbyist item, but now they're so. But your mainstream. analogy, I mean, the, the, so if you if you extend that analogy to a company like um, Uber, mm -hmm. um, then it, the analogy is that the the it's going to become cheap enough. That everyone, it's it's cheaper than a bus ride, so that it's actually more economical for a poor person to yeah, I mean, take no, an Uber than to ride a bus. No, no, I wouldn't say it's a, it would be Uber as we see it. There would be Uber buses, yeah, I mean, that, I, I that think are just would serve better than the public buses because they're uh, on right. demand. But then, and, they, and then we get into a whole another uh, going back to last week's episode of of, of entrepreneurs who I mean, we're not going to get rid of government. We don't want to, the the goal is not to be Somalia. So, like, there's got to be someone. <laughs> no, but if it works better, like, so if 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 someone has a private bus and has a dynamic route and they're able to serve it for cheap. Cheaper than the government bus. Why to wouldn't the you advocate to government, who is already providing that service, to provide a better service that works better and help yeah. them do if, that? Instead if they could do it cheaper, but that, that's when you become Somalia. Though is what I'm saying is like when you when you try to privatize <laughs> when you privatize out all of the things that government is supposed to be doing because the private sector can do it cheaper and better, then you become, uh, uh, that becomes really problematic for what it means to be. But if, if they're doing it cheaper and better, why is why, that problematic? Yeah, why is that, if they're actually providing it? The problem with Somalia is that nobody's providing yeah, it. Yeah, they are. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, in, you know, countries like Afghanistan, there are people who are providing safety. Um, and they're not, and they are for but, all but, intents but, and purposes. But they're not doing it better than the a government. government. That's uh, the problem. Yes, they are. In Somalia, they actually Well, then that wouldn't be are. a problem then. Uh, if if what you're saying is they're doing a better job than their government, then they are by your own. Admission, so we should devolve back to factional feudal no, warlordism. No, that's not. That doesn't. That doesn't <laughs> fall from that. I mean, you're going extremely extreme. Uh, here, here's the thing, right? Like, if someone can provide a cheaper bus service using here, here's the privately, and and everyone can pay a cheaper ticket, so no one's left behind, then. Why wouldn't you get rid of the government bus? Right, service? but here's like, here's here's the I issue with that. that. It's not the government's right to do it. With that specific issue, I think I I don't know of any pu public transportation service that is running a profit, right? And I think that that's yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, I don't think you could do it. And I don't you think might be able to with technology. You with, haven't right, been able so to that's that's yet. the thing. I think in, in order Japan for, trains, in order though, for in order for the you know the the Uber technology, maybe there's a better logistical system, and I know that. You know, a lot of public transportation systems do run empty. Like the utilization exactly. is not perfect, right? So there is an opportunity right now. The assumption is that you have to run a public transportation service at a loss, but maybe, you know, with technology, we can actually challenge that assumption. And I think that's really interesting. It, so here's for me, it, the, the technology thing is is exactly analogous to in India. There was only the government was allowed to run airlines, and there was two. There was Air India and Indian Airlines. And the ticket prices were atrociously; they were high. And then after the liberalization, yeah. they allowed private airlines. We we had and that here too in the in, in the states. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. And so they liberalized, and now everyone can fly. Before only like government ministers and movie stars could fly in India, and now everybody flies. And no one would ever go back to the government monopoly again. And no one argued that hey, 
just taking that away from the Indian government made India into Somalia. If India is like Somalia, it's for other reasons that it's like Somalia. It has nothing to do with the fact that they don't run their airlines anymore. And in fact, in most of the cities, where even when there are government buses, there are also private buses because the government system will take so much money to run so few routes that the other people in other areas have no option but to have a, a, a private mm -hmm. bus system. And in a lot of sub-Saharan Africa... But I, I think as entrepreneurs, uh, I mean, what becomes problematic for me is that we see the opportunity to solve that problem, not by fixing what's broken with government, but by starting a company that can route around. Like, you depend on government being broken in order to Well, the thing is, the is business. we just discussed last week how sometimes it's insurmountable to reform the government system because there's so many fiefdoms and so many interest areas. It's not insurmountable. If we can create self-driving cars and like send people to Mars and do all, I mean, of, of all people who should think that these problems are not insurmountable, it's uh, Silicon Valley, people in Silicon no, Valley. No, but because the problems aren't of the same nature. Those are, those are problems that you can solve with engineering. You can't solve the fact that there's a department that doesn't want to lose its job and so therefore wants to do X, Y, and Z and not allow you to reform that expense center because if you reform that expense center, they lose their jobs. So they're not going to let you get rid of that expense center. There's different things like that that just you have to buy from certain vendors because those vendors know how to deal with the, uh, with, the, with, the, with, the, with the bureaucracy and not because they're the cheapest provider or the best provider. But, but as, we, entrepreneurs, we, those kinds of as entrepreneurs, we're, that's what we're good at. We're good at getting stuff done when there are a lot of things if, getting in the way. Yeah. A political entrepreneur does is good at that, and that's why. I mean, if you think about who got to do healthcare.gov, for example, <laughs> it was a political entrepreneur, someone who's very good at navigating getting the contract, but not necessarily executing on it. So yes, there will be entrepreneurs who get those deals, and they get it today. But they're not entrepreneurs in the same sense of the word. They're not entrepreneurs in the sense of providing a service in a better way, cheaper. They're entrepreneurs of navigating that system. I think that I, I don't think that's um, it's there is a lot of room for entrepreneur entrepreneurs inside government right now and um, it, you know I think that if we actually um, you know turned our attention as entrepreneurs to the problems of government we'd be surprised about how much we could fix instead of just assuming that it's intractable um, you know that's true that they're not all engineering problems there are people problems but um, but people you know entrepreneurs work with people all the time too and so yeah, so we've we've gone way over our normal amount Sorry. of time, but no, no, it's it's a really fun discussion. I didn't want to cut you guys off because we're really getting at it there. <laughs> it's Man, interesting. Um, yeah, Even no, the people on the street got into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah people outside. <laughs> we had to get up and close the window, but um, uh, it's an interesting discussion. I don't think we completely solved anything, though. We we had some some interesting ideas in there, and. Uh, I think that uh, it's clear that we're going to have to have you back again <laughs> for, for another discussion. I'm right around the corner. <laughs> uh, in the future, because uh, there, there's a lot to discuss here. And, and I think it's interesting. I think, I think there's some interesting opportunities here. But uh, Catherine, I want to thank you very much for joining us. And uh, thank everyone who's been listening. And Dennis and Hirsch, thank you as always. And uh, we'll be back again in the future. Adios, guys. To grab a shovel and think of the cat. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get. To grab a shovel and think of the cat.